You're listening to audio provided by Valleydale Church. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out valleydale.org. Well, happy Mother's Day to all of our mothers that are here. What a beautiful day the Lord's given us, and I'm glad that you're here this morning, and uh, we just want to take a moment, I do, want to recognize you, thank you, we're so thankful for godly mothers, thankful for the mother that the Lord gave me for the years that he gave her to me, and uh, all that she meant to my life, and uh, if you say, well, I've never had a baby, well, if you've ever conceived a child, maybe you could not take it to term, but let me tell you something, you're a mother, and one day, the Lord who is our Lord is the Lord of the unborn as well, and you will see that child again. And then for all of you who, you know, statistics tell us, ladies, you're most likely going to be a mother. So we're excited for all of those of you that are mothers in the making. Thank you. I wish I could go put my feet under my mama's table today. Well, I can't, but one day I'll see her again. Take your copy of God's Word, and I guess maybe that's why I'm going to Luke chapter 10, is because I was thinking about my mother and my sisters this week. One sister's uh, already gone uh, to be with the Lord, and uh, my other sister, bless her heart, she doesn't even know she's in the world. Um, But I had two older sisters. Um, One was 14 when I was born. One was almost 12 when I was born. I had three mothers growing up, and um, I had three mothers all my life. As long as they lived, they all three thought they could tell me everything to do. So um, I understand a little portion of this scripture that I'll share with you in just a few minutes. If you go down to New Orleans, there's a place, if you get on Royal Street down in the French Quarter, and uh, you want to take your life into your own hands, you can go down there, uh, and uh, if you walk into, uh, there's a little doorway that leads back into a Spanish court. It is absolutely beautiful down there. Uh, All of... um, Uh, the Louisiana royalty lived on Royal Street at one time. All of the governors lived right there. All of the justices that served on the Louisiana State Supreme Court, they all lived in there. And there were two sisters that lived in there uh, in one of these little homes that you walk into and they had this beautiful Spanish garden in there with this incredible, huge fountain that's just constantly dripping just to listen to that water is calming uh, as as well as soothing to sit into that courtyard. Uh, Emma and Bertha were their names, and they both uh, ran a a dress shop there for the ladies in the late 1700s, early 1800s that uh, had the latest in Parisian fashion. Ladies would go there, they would sit in that courtyard, they would sip tea and eat biscuits, and they would watch the other ladies come out and model all of these beautiful dresses. Well, in time, the two sisters died, two months apart, by the way, and they were buried together. But the Fane family came in and bought that piece of property, turned it into a restaurant, and named it in honor of the two sisters, and they call it the Court of two sisters. And if you want a romantic seafood dinner, Cajun style, just go to the court of two sisters. Well, when you come to Luke chapter 10, verse 38, 
you're coming to one sister who is going to not only cook, but she's going to hold court there as well. So Luke chapter 10, verse 38, you come to what you know and uh, is a very, very familiar story. It's the story of Martha and Mary, uh, the two sisters. We believe it was Martha's home because Scripture tells us it was Martha's house. Uh, We don't read anything of Lazarus in this section here. We're not told anything in these verses about Lazarus, their brother. The three of them live there together. And I've got an insight into that because I had two older sisters. When you get two sisters crossways at each other, the brother better go somewhere and just be quiet and sit still. So you don't hear anything in this story about Lazarus at all because Lazarus was a smart man. But we have these two sisters, and we have heard this story so many times, and yet this morning, after spending probably four weeks in dealing out of Exodus with the whole issue of worship, in reading this, these last couple of weeks, I've come to the conclusion that this is about worship, that the whole story here of Martha and Mary is about worship. And you come to these two sisters, and I just cannot help it. When I think of Martha and I think of Mary, I think of the Morrison sisters. Do you remember them? Clarabelle Morrison, Jennifer Morrison? Here they are. There's Martha and Mary. That's not Lazarus. Sheriff, we came to tell you about our new business and to give you a free set. A new business? You didn't put that still together again, did you? Oh, my, no. But you see, we had all the berries and the jars, and, well, we decided to put up preserves. Preserves is good for celebrating occasions, too. Yes. (laughs) We left a jar inside with Barney, and I hope you enjoy this. Oh, well... Thank you kindly, ladies, and I'm happy that you saw the error of your ways and that you're in a respectable, upstanding business now. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Bye. There's <laughs> not every preacher that can work that into a sermon. But that's Martha Clarabelle. She's always instructing Jennifer and telling Jennifer what to do. And bless her heart, Jennifer just listens like a good sister. Well, that's kind of what you come to here. And and I want to give you a couple of things up front. I, I really have a lot of sympathy for Martha. I think she gets a bum deal in a lot of preaching in our day. I think we always look at her as the one that Jesus told off. Well, Jesus doesn't tell anybody off unless it's the Pharisees. He doesn't tell her off. He's not rebuking her. He is instructing her, which is exactly what he's been doing with Mary. Um, But we're going to look at that. So I, I don't want you to look at Martha in the light that she's being criticized here. I don't want you to see Mary in the light that she's just lazy and doesn't want to do anything. And the third thing I would say about this is I don't want you to look to see this as women are cast in a bad light because if this were Thomas and James, the story would still be the same. 
So with all of that in mind and understanding now that I feel like the Lord has just constantly laid this whole thing before us of worship, I want you to watch. We're gonna eventually get to that, but I believe this whole thing is about worship. Worship, the place of worship, uh, should not be a place you go to, but should be a heart where Jesus resides. So let's look now, beginning at this, and I want you to look at the heart of all of this, the heart here of service. Verse 38, now as they were traveling along, that's Jesus and the disciples, he entered a village. And by the way, let me, let me just give you a little bit of background here. Uh, this is approximately six months before Jesus is going to be crucified. This most likely is the Feast of Dedication held in late, uh, December. And so they're there in late December. It is uh, cold. It's rainy in Jerusalem at that time. Uh, they've made their way up to um, Bethany because John chapter 1 verse 11, uh, chapter 11 verse 1 tells us uh, that Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived in the little village in, in Bethany. Bethany sits up on top of a mountain. There's a series of mountains. At the very bottom of that mountain is the Garden of Gethsemane. So there's the Garden of Gethsemane. It's the Mount of Olives. They live literally at the top of the Mount of Olives in this little village called uh, Bethany. Now, let me, let me just, because it's early and you need to wake up, and this is a fascinating concept here. Just think of that ridge of mountains that runs there separates the desert, the wilderness, and the city of Jerusalem. It runs between the two. You come down the valley, you come down the Mount of Olives, past the valley, uh, past the Garden of Gethsemane, into the Valley of the Kidron, and then up the other side to Mount Moriah to where the temple was. The other side of that, you go down. Now listen, Jerusalem's about 26, 2,800 feet, let's just say 3,000 feet above sea level. You come down the other side of this ridge of mountains and you go down 14, 1,500 feet below sea level, lowest place on earth, to the Dead Sea. So in 25 miles, you go from somewhere around 3,000 feet above sea level down to somewhere around 1,400 feet below sea level and it is all straight downhill from Bethany. Uh, kind of interesting. Now, let me show you why this is so interesting. And think about Jesus who told the city, he said, you who persecute and kill the prophets. The pro you know that down in the Dead Sea area, down in that basin there, it's called the birthplace of the prophets. Elijah was there. Elisha was there. John the Baptist was down in there. Do you know what they call the city of Jerusalem? I just told you. What did Jesus say? It's the place they kill the prophets. So you've got the birthplace of the prophets, you've got the place where they kill the prophets, and in between stands this ridge of mountains there, and right on top of that, opposite of the temple, is Bethany. So Jesus and the disciples are most likely going to the Feast of Dedication. They're coming up that mountain from down in Jericho, down there below sea level, some 1,300 feet below sea level. They come up, and they're traveling along, and he entered a village, we know that to be Bethany, uh, 
and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Now, ladies, let me ask you something. If you meet a family of 13 here today, are you going to walk up to them and say, hey, you guys come on to my house for lunch today? It takes a special woman to do something like that. It tells you a great deal about Martha. It tells you she has a gift of hospitality. We would find out in the New Testament. She has the gift of serving. Uh, she has the gift of no doubt helps. Those are her spiritual gifts, and that's what she's going to do, and that's what she's going to use in her home, she sees Jesus. She sees these 12 disciples of his. She understands he's a rabbi. She understands these are his disciples. And she goes to them knowing that they've come up out of the wilderness there. It's all desert down that way, by the way. Um, and as they come up, they're tired, they're hot, they're weary, they're hungry, they're thirsty. They're looking for somewhere to rest. She goes up to him and says, hey, I want you to come Bring all your disciples with you. Come to my house. Come in and rest, and I will prepare you something to eat. Now, that's obviously a woman who understands her giftedness, and there are a lot of people in the church like that. I have folks, not everybody does this, but I have folks from time to time that will come up to me, and they'll say, Pastor, we, we're interested in the church. We want to join, but I want to know I have a gift of this, or I want to serve, I want to do something, I want to be a part of something, I, I want to help in some kind of way, I, I, I want to be of service here in the church. I don't want to just come and sit. And there are those that have that gift of service, male and female, who have that gift of service, who have that gift of hospitality. By the way, my mother had that gift uh, in, in, a, in a double portion way did she have. She was never happier than when she was cooking a big meal, and she was having guests in, usually preachers and staff from the church. She was never happier than when she was doing that. And so here is Martha, Martha, and that's her gift. That may be your gift. You may identify with her. You may say, hey, that is me. We've got folks that are out there greeting at the door. They're out there greeting and as they greet folks at the door, let me tell you, they, they're, they're fulfilling a gift that God has given to them of hospitality. They are out there making folks feel welcome. They're out there shaking hands. They're smiling. They're welcoming people. They're helping folks. You don't want to get somebody who does not have that gift to go out there and greet people. Hey, there's a door, you know. It, you want folks out there, opens the door. Hey, we're so glad you're here. Welcome into this place. So, you know, folks have that gift. You have that gift. Some of you have that gift. And for that, we give great thanks to God. I don't know what we would do in the church if we did not have people who had the gift of service, the gift of hospitality, the gift of helps. Now, that's, that's Martha. That's how you see her. That's her gifts. That's her ability. Now I want you to go the other way now to the heart of discipleship. Here comes Mary in verse 39. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet listening to his word. Now I can just go through and show you three different occasions where you're introduced to Mary. And by the way, Martha and Mary are the two prominent outside of Mary the mother of Jesus, these two women are the most prominent women in the New Testament. More people know about them. 
and the stories about them um, because you're just kind of drawn to this family. You're drawn to a family. You're drawn to the home. You're drawn to the hearth uh, where the family gathers. And so Mary lived with her sister, lived with her brother, and she obviously was different. Just as Jennifer was different than Clarabelle, Clarabelle for Jen- these two sisters were very different. I had two sisters that were very different. One sister, the older sister, quiet, sweet, do anything in the world for you. The other one rode horses, broke horses, broke anybody that got in her way. Um, you know, they just as opposite as they could personally possibly be, just as opposite as they could possibly be. Well, here's Mary. She's very different than Martha. She's seated at the Lord's feet. Every time you see Mary in Scripture, the three times you see her, she's at the feet of Jesus. She's either sitting at the feet of Jesus, running to Jesus and falling at his feet, or she is at his feet anointing his feet. All three times, that's where you find her. You find her in that place of a disciple. You find her in that position of being mentored, of being taught, of being educated. She is one of these who has a hunger for being a disciple. She has a hunger to be taught. She has a hunger to learn. And so she's always at the feet. The first time you're introduced to her, really, she is here seated at the Lord's feet while he is teaching his disciples. She has the heart of disciples. She has that gift of learning, that gift of taking in information, that gift that has the ability to take it. If she had a journal and a pen, if she had a big pen and a journal, she would be sitting there writing. There's some of you that are doing that now. Not but one or two of you, but some of you are doing that. You're taking notes. That's Mary. That's who she was. And let me tell you, that's rare in that day. No woman ever sat at the feet of a rabbi. Now, women could be taught. There's nothing in the Torah or the Old Testament that tells us women cannot be taught. They could be taught. They could learn. They could be educated in the law. Um, They could go to the synagogue. They had their place in the synagogue to uh, to sit. All the men had their place in the synagogue to sit. And and by the way, let me tell you, that still holds true. When I go to Germany from time to time to preach, I get off in some of those very conservative brethren churches, and they will have the women sit on one side and the men sit on the other. Now, the last time I was there, uh, I preached in two different churches, and uh, the husbands and wives and families all sat together. But I'll get off into some of them where they'll have the women on one side, the men on the other side, but the women could be taught. However, no woman would ever sit at the feet, uh, at the feet of a rabbi. Paul sat at the feet of Gamaliel, but no woman could ever do that. Number one, the rabbi wouldn't let her. He'd say, your place, go back over there in the corner. You sit back over there. You go over to that place. You sit over, over there. If you're going to listen, you've got to be separate than here, and you can't sit next to me. But Jesus was okay with it. He was fine with it. 
Didn't bother him at all. He did not tell her to get up and move. He didn't tell her that she needed to go somewhere else. Uh, He was quite intent for her to be a disciple. Now, not one of the disciples, but a disciple. And hopefully, all of us in here, male, female, regardless of who you are, that we're all disciples of Jesus Christ. But some of us have a real passion for it. We want to go, we want to read, we want to learn. Now, maybe that describes you. That certainly describes me. It's what I love to do. And I am so thankful to be at this point in my life to where I have some additional time, sometimes, more than not, that I can sit and I can just read and I can reflect and I can think. It's a wonderful place to get to in life where you can eventually do some of that. So that's me, and that's where she was, and that's the two women, that's Martha and that's Mary, and are y'all okay? Are you with me? Let me give you the third thing. It's the heart of dissension. Everything's not going to stay okay. Now, here is Martha, and we're not given very much of the particulars. We don't know. We're just told straightforward in just a few verses Uh, three, four, five verses. We're we're not given a whole lot of detail, but we are going to guess that Martha was in the kitchen. And and it's not theirs. I don't know, but it sounds reasonable to me that every now and then Martha must have stepped through the doorway, looked in there at Mary, got her attention and said, you know, are you going to come in here? You know, and I can just imagine Mary sitting just Give me a minute. Give me a minute. I'll be there in a minute. But that minute never came. And so after a while, you heard the slamming of cabinets, I suppose. Maybe you heard some pans being smacked around a little bit. Uh, Maybe you could hear Martha just grumbling under her uh, breath, uh, just talking until she eventually said, that's it. I've had enough. I've done all that I can do. And so she goes out and she sticks her head out there. And she walks over to the Lord. She doesn't go over to Mary. Look at what she does. She goes over to the Lord. But Martha was distracted. Do you see that word right there, distracted? Perispaoma. Perispaoma. Peri means around, peripatetic, to walk around. Spaoma means to draw, like I had a sword to draw. Spaoma, to draw a sword or to draw on a piece of paper. Uh, To draw around is what it means when you put the two together. In other words, this is what was going on. She was being, her mind was was distracted. She was being led off by her mind into other things. That's the best. She was being drawn up. Her mind was drawn away from what the original intent was. So often that happens. Um, Our minds get drawn off in a way. We're using our gift, we're using our ability, we're using our talent, and it starts out really well and it starts out great, but at some point our mind gets drawn off of the focus. The focus was to serve Christ, but now the focus has gotten more on the gift than the focus of the gift. It's gotten more important that my gift comes off well than serving Jesus Christ. Yeah. 
That can happen with gifted people. That can happen an awful lot with gifted people that we get drawn off of what the focus should be and we lose focus of the Lord Jesus Christ and the gift becomes our focus. We talk about all of these things, about doing ministry with excellence. Let me tell you, I like to do ministry with excellence, but the big problem with that, when we get so focused on excellence in ministry, is that we get wrapped up in the excellence and we forget the ministry. I want to do it with excellence. I want it to be well. I want it to look good, but... What am I doing when I begin to emphasize the excellence more than Jesus Christ is that I am putting myself forward and saying, look at me, use my gift and how good I am at using the gift. Amen, amen. It's not that Martha was bad. It was not that she you know, was a terrible person. It's what she did that we often do, and that is we get the focus on the gift that God has given us and not the God who has given us the gift. And so there she is. Now, let me point out a couple of things right here. Her gift and Mary's gift, totally different. Number one, listen to me, don't get upset when somebody has a different gift than you. We all think everybody ought to have the gifts that I have. They ought to see things the way I see it. They ought to like what I like. We've been through 50 years of worship wars in the Southern Baptist Convention where you have had churches that have split and fired staff members because they had a set of drums or they had a set of horns or they had an electric piano and they said, we can't worship in this place unless we've got an organ. And we can't worship and sing in here unless we've got a hymn book. And uh, we've gone through, and hasn't that been such a blessing for us? Don't get upset with people who do things a little differently than you. God has gifted them differently. He's the one that's sovereign. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, and I won't take you there, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Holy Spirit gives as he sees fit the gifts that you should have. I never prayed for the gift of preaching. I never asked or wanted the gift of preaching. I had a lot of other things I wanted to do in life, but that's the gift the Holy Spirit picked for me and gave to me, and he is sovereign God. So I don't need to get upset with brothers and sisters who have a different view of things or who do things a little differently than the way I do it. I need to be concerned that I don't put my gift above the gift giver. Number two, the second thing is this. Now watch, and I want you to see this with Mary. We can get so wrapped up in discipleship, in studying, in being taught, in being trained, in being led, that we never take it and do anything practical in ministry. 
It's just, let me go to another Bible study. Let me get to another discipleship program. Let me get to something else and let me, let me be taught one more time and let me be instructed just one more time and let me fill up another book of notes and listen, we never go and get our hands dirty and we never ever get up and walk into the kitchen and actually do some service. Boy, it's kind of wild, isn't it? To look at all of this, well... Let me come back now to Martha. I just looked at Mary briefly, but now here is Martha, and Jesus speaks to her in verse 41, and he says, Martha, Martha. Now, this is how I know this is not a rebuke. It's because um, Jesus uses her name twice, which is it's a sign of compassion. It's a sign of care. It's a sign of tenderness. It's a sign of love. It's actually exactly the way you heard Kirkwood read it. He reads with such feeling, Martha, Martha, you are worried. You are worried. Miriam not, oh, worried. Mental distraction. My mind is running in 50 different directions. Mental anxiety, mental frustration. I'm at the end of my wits, we would say. That's what he said. You're so distracted. You're being pulled off, drawn off in all these different directions. And you're bothered, which is another way of saying you're distracted, you're frustrated, you're anxious, you're upset. Uh, you, 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 are, you are just confused with all of these preparations. You're distracted with all of this. You're worried, you're bothered with so many things, with all of these things that you believe that are important. He says, that's what's drawing your attention away. You can't think clearly. It's interesting to me that in the midst of her losing her mind right here, did you notice she walks up to Jesus and says, Lord, do you not care? How many times have we ever prayed that? How many times have we said, Lord, you just don't care? You're just not interested. It doesn't matter to you. She says, Lord, you don't care that my sister's left me to do all this serving alone. No wonder I'm mentally distracted. No wonder I'm, I'm bothered. No wonder that I've gone off in so many different directions, that I'm worried, that I'm frantic, that I'm full of anxiety. And then the amazing thing to me is this. She walks in and interrupts Jesus from instructing the disciples and Mary. And what does she do? She, she instructs Jesus. You ever tell Jesus what to do? You tell her, you tell her to help me. Never speaks to Mary, looks at you, you tell her to do. Get in here and help me. So many times we try to tell Jesus what to do, don't we? We just look at him, Lord, you don't care. But I'm going to tell you what, what you need to do. In this situation, you need to do this, you need to do that. It's a really good thing God ignores us at times in what we pray. Uh, or we would end ourselves up in a real mess. But now let me, let me show you back. Let me go back now the other way and show you that discipleship and discipleship alone never produces anything. Uh, Mary's just sitting there. 
She's not lazy. She's curious. She's interested. She's involved. She wants to hear. She wants to study. Uh, She wants to be taught. That's the reason most of you come to church on Sundays. You want something like that, but the problem is we never take what we learn and then turn it into practical ministry for the kingdom of God. We just like to come and sit. I don't know why. Maybe it's because we want some kind of emotional experience out of the worship service, you know, and we feel like if you can make me laugh, if you can make me cry, if you can give me a cold chill or two, I've worshiped and I feel something and I can go. And when that doesn't happen, you go out and you say, well, I just didn't get anything out of that worship service. I want to be real honest with you, and I want you to hear me correctly. I'm not here to do something for you in this worship service other than try to get you to do something, which is worship God. This worship service is less about you and more about him. We are to be engaged in the worship of God in here. We are to be here to open our mouths and to give him praise and to quiet our hearts and to lift our prayers up to him. And then in the time of the study of the word of God, we are to engage the brain that God gave us. And we are to open not just our ears and our hearts, but our mind for the Holy Spirit to tell us what it is he has for us to do. Now that's worship. And just sitting and getting instruction never, ever fulfills the purposes of God. James in James chapter 2, verse 14 and 17, listen to what he says. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith and he has no works? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. To come and sit and listen and listen and listen and listen year after year after year after year after year and never have an expression of ministry? You better ask yourself, what's going on? What's wrong here? But let me show you one last thing. One last thing that I want you to see, and it's this. I want you to see the heart of discovery. What did these women get out of this experience? I think they got something. You're going to have to go with me now in your copy of God's Word over to John chapter 11. Did Martha get anything out of this? Oh, yeah, I think she did. I most certainly think she did. You come to the 11th chapter of John, you're going to see that. Lazarus has died. Jesus decides now it's time, four days later, to go to Bethany, which was near Jerusalem. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Verse 20, John chapter 11. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but Mary stayed at the house. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, it's kind of interesting how she goes out now twice to meet Jesus. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would have not died. Even now, I know that whatever you ask God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, now this is where it gets really interesting to me. Something's going on here. I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Now, the Pharisees believed in the resurrection of the dead. Sadducees did not. Uh, The country was torn between the two. (laughs) 
Um, she said she believes in it. I know that he's going to rise again in the resurrection on the last day. I know that's going to happen then. And Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me uh, will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Now listen to what she says. This is six months before the cross. Jesus most likely had just been up in Caesarea Philippi with the disciples, and there Peter makes the great confession. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon Peter, for flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Now I want you to listen to this. That's just happened. Martha doesn't know about that experience. She hasn't heard about that experience. She doesn't know what Peter said. Peter doesn't even understand what he said, I don't think, at this point. It was something the Holy Spirit gave him to say. And listen now, listen to Martha here. She said to him, verse 27, yes, Lord, I have, past tense, believed, past tense, that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. Well, my Lord, have mercy right there. This woman got what none of the disciples got. How did she do that? It must be that in somewhere in the middle of all of her activity in serving that Jesus spoke to her, you need to sit down here and get what is best, which is not just my word, it's the worship of me. And through the worship of Jesus Christ, she's come to realize this is Ha-Mashiach. This is Messiah. He is the Son of God who has come into the world. She even begins to touch on the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Where'd she get that? Worship. Worship must precede service. Well, what about Mary? Did she get anything? Was the Lord able to teach her anything? Go to John chapter 12, just one chapter over. And look as we begin to read there. Therefore, Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover came to Bethany. This is how comfortable he was at their home. Is This is where he goes and spends the last six days of his life. Um, came to the home where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they made him a supper there. Now look at this, Martha's still serving. She's still carrying out her gifts. She's still working her gift, but she's not upset with her sister now because her sister's still not in there helping her. Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table. He wasn't doing anything either. He, well, he's at the table. Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume, a pure nard, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples intending to betray him, said, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii given to the poor people? And he said this, not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And uh, as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put in it. And Jesus said, leave her alone, that she may keep it for the day of my burial. I am convinced that Mary uh, was one of the ladies who obviously went to take care of the body of Jesus and she took what was left of this perfume. 
But where is she? She's at the feet of Jesus. That's where she always is. What's she doing now? She's ministering to Jesus. Why? Jesus said she's going to keep this to my burial, for my burial. I want you to understand, I think Mary had come to understand something too. I think she had come to understand that Jesus was not only the Messiah, but Jesus was about to experience execution. Don't ask me how. I don't know. Why else would she be doing this? Why else would Jesus say what he says? But she comes to an understanding through the worship of God that it's not enough just to sit and to soak in and be discipled, but at some point I've got to serve. And she comes to serve Jesus Christ in those days where he needed somebody to minister to him. Fascinating, isn't it? Two women who can see it clearer than any of the other men, than the disciples. And they come to understand that before I can serve and in the midst of my learning and discipleship, I've got to give the preeminence to Jesus Christ and come to worship. Let's stand. Worship, worship, worship. We've come to worship today. That's why we're here. And in the midst of our worship, there should come a time of service and there should come a time of discipleship, of learning. Those two things are so valuable, but they are not the most valuable things. The most important thing is to come and worship Him. Now the truth is this, unless you have made Jesus Christ Lord of your life, you cannot worship. You cannot worship. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus stands ready to forgive you of your sins. He died for you on a cross. He died. He was buried. And on the third day, death could not hold him back. And he came out of that grave alive forevermore. And he was resurrected in resurrection power so he could save you. And one day do the same for you that was done for him. And that is to be resurrected. Wouldn't you like to give your life to Jesus Christ? Is there a family here this morning that maybe you've never done that as a family? To come and say, we as a family come to make a decision for Christ. Maybe a family to come and join this morning. Maybe there is some individual, a single or a husband, or a wife, someone who's never trusted, a teenager who's never trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You need to come this morning. Whatever it is God's calling you to do, would you follow his leadership? Would you follow his lordship? Our Heavenly Father, in these moments, we just come and present ourselves to you. I pray that your will be done here, that you would speak to hearts, that you would draw as only you can draw, that you can convict as only you can convict. 
that you bring as only you can bring. Father, we'll give you praise and glory for it in Jesus' name. Our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Would you come at this time of invitation? Would you step out? Would you be the first? If you come, it's amazing how someone else will generally come as well. Step out and come to Jesus. Thank you for listening to this recording from Valleydale Church. To find more or to connect with us about what you just heard, check us out at valleydale.org.